Hey, true crime friends. Welcome back to True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. First of all, I hope you are all having a wonderful week so far. If not, I hope it gets better for you. I just want to take a second to just say thank you to everyone who has reached out and sent messages and things. Um, if you haven't seen, I posted on Instagram at True Crime in Academia. Uh, the reason basically why we didn't have an episode last week um i went through something i mean it feels traumatic um uh, but it was definitely a very scary situation that could have potentially gone violent thank god it didn't um but still just the prospect of that it could have been um yeah it's just really <laughs> really scary to have to go through first off but you know also to deal with after the fact. So just I really, really appreciate everybody who, like I said, reached out, sent messages, things like that. Your kind words really mean a lot to me and they've really, really helped. So thank you. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind everybody that True Crime in Academia is for educational purposes only. Obviously, I do not condone any behaviors perpetrated, you know, by the killers or things like that, obviously. And if you would like to get your hands on extra content, go over to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and you can become a subscriber. You will get access to the bonus monthly episodes that are for uh, subscribers only. So the only way to get your hands on that is to go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a subscriber. The episode or the bonus episode for this month should be coming out next Friday. So keep your eyes out for that, subscribers. And if you're not a subscriber and you want access, you know what to do. All right. So with that, let's get into today's episode, shall we? On June 14th, 1929, two 16-year-old boys, Paul Kumlauf and Milton Miller, went to the local gun range on Fisher Street in Columbus, Ohio. While they were out in the large field, they made a gruesome discovery. They had stumbled upon the body of a young woman who wore a brown dress and white stockings. Authorities rushed to the scene and determined that the body had been dumped after a horrific murder, as told by the extensive bruising on the woman's body. The body belonged to 24-year-old Ohio State University medical student Theora Hicks. Theora, or Teddy Hicks, was born on August 10, 1904, to Melvin and Joanna Hicks in Johnson City, New York. Theora was the only child born to them, and according to the people who signed her yearbook, <laughs> she was considered to be quiet and unassuming. Now, that's not the way I would want to be described in a yearbook, but maybe for 1920, that was a compliment? I don't know. After high school, Theora was accepted to Ohio State University, where she was a med student. She took a job on campus as a stenographer so she could pay for tuition. Now, this wasn't said of her from what I could find, 
But I think it's obvious that Theora is not only very smart, because, I mean, she she's in med school, for Christ's sakes. She's clearly determined, because this was obviously during a time where most women weren't really allowed to go to college, or it wasn't the norm. And, I mean, the fact that she was studying the field of medicine, I mean you'd have to be extremely determined in order to get grades good enough to stay in med school. So that's a huge deal. And then she's extremely resourceful because she knew what she needed to do. She knew she needed to get a job as a stenographer to pay for tuition. And she did it, which being a stenographer, you know, that's a whole other set of skills on top of just being, you know, studying med school stuff and everything. So you know, she's doing what she has to do to pay for college. She's in college <laughs> as a med student. Like I said, I can't harp on that enough. I'm just so proud, I guess, that a woman from the 1920s was at Ohio State University going to school to become a doctor. I think that's really fucking awesome. Now, in 1926, Theora became a stenographer for a man named Dr. James Snook, who was a professor in the veterinary medical school. One night in June, Dr. Snook offered Theora a ride home to her dorm that she shared with her two roommates. I can't say that I know or that really anyone knows what happened that night, but over the next three weeks, the two started an affair. Dr. James Howard Snook was born on September 17, 1879 in South Lebanon, Ohio, to Albert and Mary Elizabeth Snook, which I have to say, as a Mary Elizabeth... She's got a great name. Dr. Snook was the oldest of two children and the youngest being his sister, Bertha. Dr. Snook attended Ohio State University for their veterinary school and graduated in 1908. Shortly after, he invented a surgical tool that has a curved hook on the end. And this tool was actually used in the spaying and neutering process. And it's still used today. It's called a Snook hook. Sometime later in his life, I'm not, I couldn't find an exact date, but he married a woman named Helen and the two went on to have a daughter. In 1920, Dr. Snook was on the U.S. Olympic pistol team and attended the Olympics in Antwerp, Belgium. There, Snook and the U.S. team took home at least two medals. One was in a 500 meter shooting and I think the other one was 30 meters. But either way, they took home gold and that's really impressive. However, I thought at first when I was researching this that he was the only one (laughs) to have these two medals. But then I realized it was a team award. So not for nothing, but I'm just saying he I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't a good shooter. I mean, he made it on the Olympic team, but. Initially, I guess what I'm saying is that I thought he was like the best one, but really he was just on the best team, if that makes sense. When he got back from the Olympics, also in 1920, he was able to get a position as a professor at Ohio State Veterinary School, where he met Theora. Now, Theora and Dr. Snook would frequently meet up between 6 and 9 p.m., They would frequently meet in various places around Columbus and sometimes would take drives out to the country, which they would go in Snook's Blue Ford Coupe. Now, when they often when they would took these drives out to the country, they would often park somewhere and that's usually where they would have sex. 
A lot of the times, it seemed like they would also go out there and do drugs. It was stated that Theora was interested in taking barbiturates and cocaine, and she would often actually ask Snook to steal substances from the lab for her to use. Now, during the course of their affair, Dr. Snook actually rented an apartment on Hubbard Avenue under the name James Howard, which is just his first and middle name. He's so damn clever. When he rented the apartment, he told the landlady, or land person, well, it was a woman, the woman in charge, <laughs> that he was a salt salesman and that Theora was his young wife and they, that's where they were going to live. Really, it was just a little love nest for them to meet up at. Now, aside from just a place that they could meet up, it also seems like this was done because Theora, at some point during their relationship, had had someone break into her dorm. Well, she didn't have someone break into her dorm. Someone broke into her dorm. And she expressed to Snook how scared she was about the whole situation. So he gave her one of his guns, a Remington Derringer. And, you know, he would then take her because, you know, he's a World Olympic gold medalist in shooting, would take her to the NY Central shooting range on Fisher Road to practice so she would know how to defend herself if and when the time came. Now, things weren't always great between the two. Snook often had a problem with Theora's temper tantrums. He stated that she could be jealous, disagreeable, moody, possessive, and sometimes cruel. He also wasn't a fan of her sexual preferences, which he described as a her being aggressive and slightly sadomasochistic, which I think he's being a little over dramatic with that, just because I didn't see any specific examples except for what I'm about to say. But, you know, this was the 1920s. He said that she would specifically abuse him by telling him about her other lover, a man named Marion Myers, and how he could satisfy her better and that he overall had a larger dick. Now, it was also said that Theora had recommended books to him for Snook to, like, read so he could, you know, better his sex life together, which I thought was progressive. But also, to me, it kind of seems that maybe this sexual behavior was less unconsensual. I don't know. I just, I really get the feeling like he's kink-shaming here. We don't have much information from Theora herself or from the people that knew her that I'm aware of. Um, So really this, we're only getting this from the dude who killed her spoilers. So it's hard to say if he was actually really consenting to these things and just saying that he wasn't in order to not make it look as bad or if he really did feel this way. And if he really did feel that way, then I guess I feel bad that he was put into a non-consensual situation or a non-consensual sexual situation. But if he is just making it up to save his own ass, then, you know, fuck him for that. Hey, true crime friends. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. 
I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Send her a DM and order today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On June 13th of 1929, Snook and Theora met up for a date. The two drove out to the country and they got high, not sure on which drugs, but they discussed their relationship. According to Snook, Theora threw one of her temper tantrums while giving him a blowjob, apparently. And during this tantrum, she threatened his family and himself before injuring him. I don't know how. I can only guess. It's all the newspapers would report at the time. Snook then grabbed the ball-peen hammer that he had stuffed in his glove compartment and beat her over the head with it. When he was done, he grabbed a pocket knife and slit her throat. It is estimated he dumped the body at the range between 7 and 11 a.m., based off of a patrolman who reported that he was there patrolling around 7 a.m. and did not find a body. Now, it doesn't mean that it wasn't there, but, I mean, I'm not sure exactly where forensics were at the time, but I just know that they were maybe post-slash-during Francis Glessner Lee. I swear, that's how I <laughs> how I tell the time at all. Um, or that's how I tell time in forensic cases anymore. Uh, it's either before Francis Glessnerly, during, or after Francis Glessnerly. I, I had that's those are my time frames. But based off of which we'll get into a little bit later, how they investigate the case, which I think they did a really good job investigating, by the way, which is not something I normally say, and especially for 1920 or 1929 rather, it was a huge, huge, huge feat. So. It was a huge, huge, huge deal that they were able to conduct this in such a way, which, like I said, I'll get into. But yes, that's how they based the time of which her body was dumped based off of that. Now, this case grabbed media attention very quickly. There were newspaper reports coming out the next day. And actually, if you look in the sources that I have listed below, two of them, I know it's the dispatch and there's one other one, I believe. I can't remember which the other source uh, name is, but either way, they have, there are two sources down below in the description that have actual newspaper clippings from when, from literally the day after this case, which was a little bit hard researching because there's a lot of misinformation about when exactly she died and when Theora's body was discovered. So luckily, because of these newspapers, I was able to kind of weed out the discrepancies 
Another thing I found interesting, which I mentioned, I meant to mention at the top of the episode, was that in one of these newspaper clippings, you will find that not only are these miners, Paul Conflau, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, and Milton Miller, both not only are their names mentioned, and their miners are only sixteen years old, but also their home addresses are listed. Which I thought was really fucking weird. I mean, it's already bad enough that you're naming these two boys <laughs> who literally were just minding their own business and had the unfortunate case of stumbling upon a body, you know. Which, I mean, obviously, thankfully, they did and reported it and whatnot, because or else we might not be here talking about this case. Or maybe we would have. It just would have been told a little bit differently. But anyway... I just thought it was so strange that they would put those boys in like, I guess, not really danger, but just outing them like that. Like, like I said, not only did you name two minors first and last name in your paper, which again, might not have been a common practice back then, but then you like put their addresses. That's so freaking weird to me. It just doesn't make sense. But anyway, I would definitely check those out in those sources just because I mean, I love old newspapers and stuff like that so I just thought it was really cool but like I said obviously this case grabbed a lot of media attention and after the discovery and identification of Theora's body police questioned her friends and to no one's surprise I mean it's it's one of those situations where they were having an affair at school so almost everyone at school knew about this affair except for poor Helen Snook's wife which I feel like, sadly, that's just the usual situation. But yes, so police were immediately pointed to him and another man named M.T. Myers. Now, I could not find if this was the Marion Myers that Theora had been sleeping with as well. It very well could possibly be. I just don't have the exact confirmation on that. But like I said, it's possible. So they were able, the police were able to confirm that, you know, Theora had been with these two men. And so they decided to start there. And they actually put Snook's uh, picture in the newspaper, not the other guy, but it was like, you'll see if you look, there's a picture of Theora and then a picture of Dr. Snook, even though the newspaper article says that it's, you know, they're talking to him and this other guy, M.T. Myers. So... But anyway, thankfully they did that because the landlady from their love nest saw his picture and was like, wait a minute. I rented him an apartment. So she called and told the police what she knew about him and their relationship and, you know, how he lied, saying he was a salt salesman and that she was his wife and not that he was a professor. And this was a student he was having an affair with. Thankfully, police were able to search Snook's home and his car. There, they were able to locate the murder weapons, being the ball-peen hammer and the pocket knife. And they were also able to get access to his car and the clothes he wore the night of the murder. Of course, when they looked at the car, they found blood splatter everywhere, confirming that that was actually where she had died. And, of course, I mean, I don't... I saw somewhere that it said that they were all that they tested the blood and it all came from one person and that person was Theora Hicks 
which would make sense because I know that they could test. Because I, I want to say with blood testing and stuff like that time was still sort of new, not entirely, but sort of. So they would only be able to test like kind of like how with fingerprints back in the day, they really could only test for someone's fingerprints if they knew that they had your fingerprints. So kind of the same thing with the blood. They knew they had her blood to test for comparison against. So other than that, though, I don't think they would have been able to figure it out. But like I said, great on them. They were able to get these things and test the blood. And like I said, at the very least, because I'm not 100% sure that they could tie the blood to her specifically, but they were at least able to know that it all came from one person. So like I said, very impressed with the level of police work for the 19 for 1929. It's really really incredible. Of course, Dr. Snook was arrested and there he confessed to killing Theora Hicks. However, he claimed that it was in self-defense. Which we will get into his exact testimony and what he claimed happened in just a moment. Now, his trial was set to begin that July, and every day the courtroom was packed with spectators just wanting to see this whole thing play out. And I believe when I looked at the size of the courtroom, it said that maybe only 40 spectators could come in per day. So every day that this court or that this trial was happening, there was at least 40 spectators in the audience or in the you know, courtroom waiting to watch. And it was said that people would come as early as 3 a.m. to get in line so that they could watch this trial, which again, just so crazy. Now, Snook testified that on the night of the murder, Theora had threatened him after injuring his genitals. But not only did she threaten him, she also threatened his family. Because of this, he grabbed the hammer from his glove compartment and hit her over the head multiple times. He then said she rolled out of the car, seemingly uninjured from her head being bashed in with a hammer, and was searching in her purse. Now, he was fearful that she was searching for the gun that he had given her, the Remington Derringer. So, because of that, he decided to slit her throat. However, the autopsy and forensics had a little different of a story to tell. Because... They included that she had a lot of defensive bruising on her body, which means she obviously fought back. This wasn't just, you know, she wasn't just laying there. She was actually trying to fight him off. They also ruled out the notion that she rolled out of the car and was searching her purse because a like I said the blood splatter was in the car so clearly he killed her he slit her throat in the car he didn't slit it out on the field like he's saying but based off of her head injuries that she sustained during that time there is no way she would have been conscious enough to do so and they concluded that you know she was after he hit her in the head she wasn't a threat anymore because she was unconscious she was subdued so at that point being a veterinarian who has dealt with large animals is actually some, I did see in one source, it said specifically that he was a horse surgeon. So if he's dealing with these huge ass animals safely, you're trying to tell me he couldn't just subdue her and call it a day. And again, that's what the, that's what the prosecution is pointing out. 
And thankfully, the jury agreed because after 30 minutes of deliberation, they found Dr. James Snook guilty of murder and sentenced him to death. Now, fun fact about this case, because you will see this if you look at the sources, um, because there are also pictures in there as well, besides the newspaper clippings. He was given a reclining chair because he had lower back pain. I just thought that was interesting. He kind of looks like an asshole in that picture, though, because he's in court and he's just totally like chill, leaning back in his seat. Like I said, if you look at the, the sources, you'll know what I mean. Dr. James Snook was executed by electric chair on February 28th, 1930. But before his death, he confessed to a warden that he had planned Theora's death all along. He said after a tantrum one time, Theora threatened to expose the relationship, thus ruining him socially and professionally. Since that specific incident, he put the ball peen hammer and the knife in his car and just waited for the opportunity to arise. On the 13th of June, Dior had asked to go to the country instead of going back to the apartment, and that's when James said he saw his opportunity. He claimed that slitting her throat was to throw the police off her trail and make it look like it was, or off his trail, (laughs) and make it look like it was some gruesome, random attack, I guess. And... I don't know. For whatever reason, he thought it was going to save himself, I guess. Because, you know, how could he be so cruel? It had to be someone else, right? You know, whatever. I don't really get the logic. But, (laughs) you know, I just think it's overkill. Anyway, my darlings, that is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all stay safe out there and stay healthy. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter at TC and Academia. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. And until next, the next one, I will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia. I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director. Our team includes Mary DePippi, our chief contributor. Nicole Arguello, our marketing assistant, and Kimberly Dallas, our editor. Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes come out on Monday, and sometimes I'm joined by a guest co-host. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. And here's Mary. Hello, everyone. I am the host of True Crime and Academia. Do not forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia. And coming soon, there will be a Twitter also at True Crime and Academia. Now, if you're like me, you like to have bonus episodes. I love extra content, don't you? So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Not only do you have access to our video interviews, but you will also be able to access never before seen bonus episodes. So like I said, you can't, we don't release them anywhere else. You can only get those on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today. And don't forget to listen to ivory tower boiler room on Mondays and true crime and academia on Tuesdays.